Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm thrilled to be in the studio every week sitting down with some wonderful women in the Philadelphia area and across the country as well who are willing to come in and share with us their story uh, behind behind their professional careers. And with me today is Jennifer Barrett. Uh, Jennifer is Senior Vice President and Editor-in-Chief for DailyWorth.com, uh, Inc., which is an online financial magazine for women. Uh, Jennifer is also an award-winning journalist with more than 15 years in print and digital media with The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, Money Magazine, Newsweek, and was once general manager of Hearst Magazines. I think I covered I think yeah. you did. <laughs> so welcome to the studio, Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled I'm, to be here. I'm so appreciative of your coming in all the way from New York City <laughs> this morning to be with us. So, um, I, you know, we're going to definitely talk about um, the daily worth and financial issues surrounding women. But I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and your background and uh, what it was that led you to your position today. So sure. talk a little bit about your younger years uh, growing up and, and the traveling that you did with your family. We traveled quite a bit. Um, I led a very peripatetic lifestyle as a kid. We moved probably a dozen times as I was growing up. So I was born in Boston, and then we moved to Texas. We lived overseas a couple times. And then I went to three different high schools in Texas, California, and Massachusetts. Um, my father was not in the military. <laughs> we just, it's a question I get a lot. I bet. Um, but he was a professor and a consultant, so he would get uh, extended periods where he would teach a semester somewhere or he would have an extended consulting gig, and we would go with him along for the ride. And then my parents were divorced, and we moved to California with my stepfather and moved again when he got a new job. So, um, you know, at the time, it was challenging uh, to say the least, particularly in high school. Mm-hmm. But looking back, I think it prepared me really well for success as an adult because I'm not afraid to walk into any new situation. I know I'll find friends mm-hmm. anywhere I go. And um, it gave me the confidence to move to New York on my own when I was in my 20s. Yeah, I would imagine there's an, you learned adaptability yes. and flexibility mm-hmm. in, a, in a big way. Yes. Um, what, what, where were you for your high school years? So I was in Texas for my freshman year and then sophomore year in San Francisco and in North Andover, Massachusetts for my junior and senior wow. year. So you re- so wow. we did move quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> How did you adapt to the to the friend issue? Because mm-hmm. high school is such a, you know, critical time when we're growing up, especially for it young is. girls. Yeah. And you had to continually create new friends. How did you what tools yeah. did you use to do that? I think it was tough, but in a sense, it was nice to be able to have moved twice. What it did for me was open up my world in a big way because we had lived in Texas at that point for about 12 years. And we had lived overseas, but for short stints, like six months or a year. And so and I was younger then, so they didn't feel quite as real. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I was 14 at the time when we moved to California and San Francisco is so different from Dallas. And the first thing it did was just open my mind to the possibilities. And I realized that Texas was just one small part of the world. 
and that there were a range of people and you could find your people, you know, somewhere in the world. And that was sort of comforting. I mean, on a very, as a teenager, it's tough to move into any new situation, but I have to say that I had a nice experience in California. The people were very friendly. And I think there were a lot of people moving in and out of this particular high school. So it wasn't as tough an adjustment as it yeah. might have been otherwise. You didn't feel like the only one kind, you know, being the new kid, no, I guess. No, And my parents were very kind. They they sought out other parents. And I met some people before I started school. And so it didn't feel quite so intimidating yeah. when I started. Did you have siblings? I do. I have a, a younger sister. She's 18 months younger than me. Okay. And yeah. what does she do? Uh, she's a doctor. She's a doctor. Yeah. She uh, specializes in infectious diseases. Okay. <laughs> um, and how about mom? She worked outside of the house as well? She actually took time off, and that had a huge uh, impact on um, my career uh, later on, is that she took time off when we were young, but then went back and got her MBA, and then went and got her doctorate in accounting, and basically launched a successful second career. She had been a high school teacher and teaching French when she was younger and had uh, pursued a degree and master's in French lit, but then wasn't quite sure what to do with it. Then she went back and just completely switched gears and she worked at a bank and she taught accounting and she had a very successful career as a professor and a consultant. Mm -hmm. And so that had a huge impact on the possibilities I saw for women in particular, because she was unusual. She was one of a handful of women at her bank in Texas and, you know, was out there, she was covering oil and gas and she was constantly surrounded by men. And so I saw, I saw her breaking barriers left and right. And I saw her creating this new career out of nothing. And so it had a huge impact on me. Yeah, I bet. Mm -hmm. So when was it that you developed your love of writing? Did Mm -hmm. that happen at a real young age? Very, very young. Um, I remember in seventh grade, I wrote a piece, and I, I still to this day, when I finish my book that I'm working on now, I'm going to dedicate it in part to my English teacher at the time who told me in seventh grade that I should be a writer. Wow. And had a huge, yeah, obviously had a huge effect on me because I still think of her and I get teared up. Um, but that sort of set me on that path. And then my mom, I used to ask tons of questions all the time. And finally she just turned around and said, you should just be a journalist because you could get paid to do that all day long. (laughs) And I said, whoa, yes, that's what I want to do. And so we had Newsweek and the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal in our house growing up. No matter where we lived, they were constants. And so at a very young age, I picked up Newsweek and said, I want to write for Newsweek wow. when I grow up. So, yeah, yeah, I was about 14 when I decided that. Oh, my gosh. Well, it took me a little while to get there, but I did get there. Yeah, there's some, it's so wonderful to have the validation that you write something and that teacher said it's good. Right. And I bet it need, you know, it you huge. just needed that one um, response yes. to set you on your path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. And um, so where did you go to college? I went to Syracuse. Syracuse. To Newhouse School. Yeah. Yes. The Orange mm-hmm. Men. The Orange Men. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and were you on, you know, did you do a lot of writing throughout your college years? I did. Well, I actually majored in broadcast journalism, which okay. was a little bit of my mom's influence. She had this idea of me on TV and I was a little ambivalent about my major. So, I mean, in, within journalism. So I went that route. But then I had another one of those moments that just kind of informs your career in a big way is I, I went away for um, my junior year. I went to London mm-hmm. and I took a print journalism class for the first time. And we had a very, should I say, an unorthodox professor who basically told us we were a class of eight. And he said, every one of you guys is going to get an A as long as you do your assignments. So what I really want you to do is just get into these assignments and do it as if you are a real reporter. And he said, and I have connections at different papers here. So if you actually put something together, I will help you place it. Mm 
And so he sent us off to do these assignments with nothing but basically a tape recorder and a notebook. And so I covered at the time the British National Party was on the rise. They're a far right party and they had a huge rally. And so I covered the rally Mm -hmm. and was interviewing all these people and interviewing people on the other side. And the rush from that and the story just came together in my head and I came back and I gave him this, gave him the story and he said, this is great. And I said, this is what I want to do. <laughs> it was another one of those moments. I'm like telling people's stories and, and writing it down and sharing it with the world. That's it. That's, I'm That's done. It. This is what I want to do. So then I came back and my advisor said, well, you're a senior now, so you can't really change your major unless your parents or you want to pay for another year of school. I would just recommend you join the school paper. So I did yeah. that. <laughs> That's wonderful. When you think about, you know, reporting mm-hmm. on stories is a lot different from kind of creative writing. Right. Do you do you do any creative writing or is, is it mostly reporting and, and stories about, you know, current events and yeah. things that are happening? Um, I did, when I was younger, I did some creative writing. I wrote a lot of poetry and some fiction writing, but nothing that was published. I had really, from the get-go, pursued journalism. But I do think, you know, I... I love narrative journalism. That's really my passion when, when it comes down to is when you're telling people's stories, there are a lot of, um, it's not so dissimilar from fiction. Clearly, you can't make up the story. The facts are there, but right. there is a, a narrative to these stories. And so a lot of um, the skills you need as a fiction writer translate to a degree when you're writing longer, longer form journalism and that, you know, there's typically a protagonist. They have a challenge. They overcome the challenge. The structure is very similar in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. So um, that I got to satisfy the creative side as well when I when I wrote a lot of these profile pieces. Yeah. And I guess you don't face writer's block if you're mm-hmm. writing, you know, you're reporting the facts are there and you're just embellishing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, not embellishing. Not embe- <laughs> I should say not, that's not a good word. But, yeah. <laughs> no, she never does that. <laughs> Very careful not to embellish. But right. I mean, the, the truth is the stories are just so interesting on their own. And, right. yes. you know, I mean, oh. the truth is stranger than fiction. They're Absolutely. really extraordinary stories out yeah, there they're just waiting to be told exactly endless endless mm-hmm. um i read that you you mentioned a moment when you um really decided that um helping women with finances was something that you wanted to do right. um, in addition to the writing talk a little bit about you know that time in your life yeah. and what propelled you to do that well, I mean, there is some irony in the fact that both my parents have PhDs in accounting and are quite responsible with their own finances. And I basically made every money mistake in the book in my early 20s. So As many 20-year-olds do. I don't know if do. it was a subconscious rebellion or, or what, but I just I didn't want to hear it. Yeah. And I, I didn't see the connection, which I think actually is true of a lot of women, is that we think of money as an external thing. It's like, oh, I'm not good with money or... We don't think of it as core to our life, which mm-hmm. it is. It influences every aspect of your life. And so I, I learned the hard way. I mean, I cashed out my 401k. I, um, in my 20s, <laughs> bought a car that was too expensive, rented an apartment that I couldn't afford. I mean, it just Were you classic. in New York? You were in New York. I wasn't time? initially. Um, I lived in Arizona. I worked at the Arizona Republic for a while. Okay. And I bought a car that I actually learned about the 72-hour buyer's remorse law. Uh, My roommate fortunately knew about it because I bought a car that was so far out of reach and then returned it 24 hours later. (laughs) So, note to self, yes, you can. 72 hours remorse law. Okay. Um, But I I made a lot of those classic mistakes where I just wasn't really thinking through the implications of the decisions I was making. And so, it really kind of came to a head when I came to New York. 
um, you know, I got married and my husband and I had never really had the talk that I encourage every woman to have, which is really coming clean on any debts you have and what your financial situation is. We'd sort of skirted around the issue. And then after we got married, I distinctly remember sitting on our, we had these, you know, our the steps in front of our apartment and we were still coming off the honeymoon glow and talking about, you know, our life together and yeah. the future. And right. then about halfway through, we realized, wait, you have that much debt? What? <laughs> like each of us. <laughs> our future's not looking so good. And we're like, hmm, we might have to put these plans on hold. And right. so it really hit me at that point. Like, oh, God, I can't buy a house. We can't buy a house. We can't start a family. These are major milestones in your life, and we couldn't do either right. because of our financial situation. And I got very real to the fact that I would have to make some very tough decisions very quickly if we were going to have this life that I'd imagined for mm-hmm. us, that we'd imagined. Um, and that was the impetus, really, to I worked with these women. I co-authored a book on personal finance, and we actually had an exercise in the book that I did myself called um, The Perfect Day Exercise, where you imagine your life three years down the road and write down all the details you can think of. So it's where you're living. Do you have a family? What are you doing? You know, what's your job? And then, you know, after you've done that fun exercise, then you actually put the costs against it. And so you sort of back into the life that you want. And it was eye-opening how big the gap was when I actually priced out, oh, we want to buy an apartment in Brooklyn and, you know, by Park Slope next to the park, this nice area, and I want to have two children and started pricing everything out and realized, oh my God, there's not a lot left. Yeah, no, there was nothing. It was just impossible at that yeah, point. Right. And um, and so I it led to, I mean, it transformed my life. I I took a buyout from my job. I started freelancing. I doubled my income in a year. I paid off a five-figure debt. You know, I, it just transformed my life. And we were able to um, to do the things we wanted maybe a, a year or two later, but we did buy a place. We do have two sons. Mm-hmm. And um, and if I hadn't made those decisions, uh, we, we we wouldn't have done that. Yeah. We would not have been able to yeah. do well, that. Yeah, well, that's really impressive to me. I mean, you really made a conscious decision and you looked at it realistically rather yeah. than, as you said, kind of putting it back Someday. here. And not, right, right. Yeah, yeah, because unfortunately, you know, we can buy things with credit and, you you right. know, you can get right. all these things that you want, mm-hmm. um, even if the money's not there. And that's right. one of the biggest issues. Right. I, wonder, I, I talk a lot about the fact I think it's really important. One of the things that's going to turn it around mm-hmm. is for us as, as a generation and parents to teach our children at yes. a really really young age, yes. not just about math, but mm-hmm. about money and saving and mm-hmm. budgeting. So do you talk to your kids are young? I don't know. They are, but I do talk to young. them. Yeah. yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that kind of, you know, mm-hmm. actually implementing fi- a financial um, education right away yes. when kids are young? Yeah, I think it's hugely important. Mm-hmm. And we have a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. And so with a three-year-old, we're just trying to train him to understand how much things cost. So he looks at the number and then we'll, we'll have, give him a dollar or give him whatever the money is and say, this will buy that. So there's a connection between the money he's holding in his hand and what he's able That's to buy great. for it. Three's not too young. He's not. And he's he, not. he is getting it. And the seven-year-old, we opened a bank account and he has an allowance. And right now, actually, he, he wanted um, a baseball bat. It's $30. And he gets three fifty a week for allowance, assuming he, you know, he ticks off a list of things that he needs to do every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I told him I will kick in a little bit if he saves um, six weeks worth of allowance. I'll kick in the rest. 
And so he's been diligently saving it every week. So we're trying to teach him that when you want something, you don't need to have it right away. You can work towards it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who knows? I mean, he's seven, but. No, I think, I think, it's, I think it's so key. I think yeah. you'll see a big difference in, you know, him um, against another seven-year-old that was never taught right. about money until they're faced with it. And then they don't have the tools. Right, right. And he is learning. I mean, he'll turn away. He saw sweets that he wanted in the, you know, when we were at the the drugstore one day. And I said, well, if you buy those, if you buy that candy, it's going to set you back a week saving for this. <laughs> so, well, you know, then you can't get them car you want. He said, oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then he's like, will you buy it for me? <laughs> Sometimes um, I give him, but. <laughs> yeah. No, it's all good lessons. I think they're, they're never too young you right. know, to start talking about it. Um, so when did you make the decision to, you were, worked for Hearst magazines mm-hmm. for, for a while. You mm-hmm. were general manager. I was. I, I'm mm-hmm. curious to know what types of things you learned about women, mm. um, working and, you know, many different magazines. So right. there were women's magazines, teen, mag- teen young magazines, young girl magazines. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things you learned about women in general, their sure. views and. Sure. Well, we covered a pretty wide spectrum. So I oversaw 17, uh, and at various times, 17 Red Book, Cosmo, and good That's housekeeping. So we covered yes. the gamut from about 12 to women in their 50s. Mm-hmm. And it was a combined total when I left. We had about 18 million visitors per month to those sites. So it's a big swath of the female population. Yeah. And it was fascinating to see what really resonated with them. And what what I found so interesting was that the themes were very common among all age groups. There were just certain themes that spanned generations you never stop worrying about your weight. <laughs> you're, right. you're always trying to eat healthy. You always wonder what people think of you. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some some common themes. And then money was actually um, came up time and time again. But what was interesting to me was, it's you know, it's the same themes, but you're basically packaging them differently for each age group. Right. But they don't really go away. Um, and the things that interest us when we're teens and or in our 20s um, still interest us years later right, you know right. and um, so it, it was interesting to to see that do you think that um, change you know that I think a lot about the, the teen magazines mm-hmm. in particular for young girls and the content yeah. that's in there it's changing I yes mm-hmm. I think it needs to change in a big way and it, it won't yeah, happen the in a big one. way <laughs> I'm sure but I do I think that that is often you mm-hmm. know part of the problem where you know when we talk about self-esteem right in young girls mm-hmm. you know we're putting out there so much that has to do with yep. looks yep and then we expect them not to pay so much attention to their looks yep what are some of yeah, the things there you, are a lot you, of you think we could do I guess replace messages. those yeah. yeah 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 I mean I think women Women get a lot of paradoxical messages in their mm-hmm. lives, period. I mean, money is one area, but it, it, it's across the spectrum. Um, it was interesting when I was at 17. I actually think Anne Chaquette is trying, is consciously um, aware of the message and the power that um, 17 has with its audience. Mm-hmm. And um, she has made a conscious effort to use different body types and to use, to represent all different skin colors, skin types. Um, you know, there was an incident where a, um, a model had been, I hope I'm getting this right, had been airbrushed and there was a petition that came up and, a, you know, this young girl, a teenager, actually came to the Hearst building and had a petition and wow. demanded to see more real images. And Anne met with her and they talked for a while. And, and I think she really pays attention to that. I mean, she's a mother, too. So yeah. she's 
she's quite conscious of that. Yeah, it's really important. It is. It's, it's starting to change. Yeah. Not as fast as most of us would like, but, yeah. <laughs> but well, it's we'll changing. keep at it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Jennifer Barrett, Senior Vice President and Editor-in-Chief for DailyWorth.com. It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks, and some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the mutual fund store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face to face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your mutual fund store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the mutual fund store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. Hello? Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes, Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the City of Light. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip, or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest-growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. 
InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone uh, here at Women to Watch on WWDB Talk 860. I'm in the studio today with Jennifer Barrett. Jennifer is Senior Vice President and Editor-in-Chief for DailyWorth.com, which is a, a wonderful online financial magazine for women. And uh, we were learning a little bit more about Jennifer, and, and I think we'll get into talking about the benefits of, of Daily Worth and everything around women and finances, which really is different today than it was years ago. Very much so. Um, Jennifer mentioned in the break mm-hmm. that they've just brought on a new CEO who we happens have. to be a man. <laughs> and um, why don't you talk a little bit about why, why, how that came to be and why sure. you think it's important? Sure. Well, I mean, the the immediate reaction we normally get is, "Why would you bring in a man to be the CEO of a of a company that uh, targets women?" Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the response we we give is that we always say you can't discriminate against a woman because of her gender if she's the most qualified person for the role. And we felt that that was true in in this case with him. And there was no reason not to hire him because he was a man and he was eminently qualified for this role. So it's Patrick Williams. He was the publisher of Worth magazine Mm -hmm. for the last five years. And he spent seven years at The Economist. He helped launch Condé Nast portfolio. So he has um, tremendous experience in media and specifically on the revenue side and brings, you know, it's it's a nice balance yeah. to the company. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's always good to have um, two views, you know, yes. male and female. Yes. And that's yeah. one. Yeah, we, we talk about the fact that it's not just about getting women up into leadership roles, but kind of right. sharing those because we have different, you know, views and ideas and gifts, men right. and women. Right. Yeah. And he's, you know, his wife is very successful and he, he comes to the table with this idea that... Um, you know, that women should be working, can be very successful, should be taking care of their money. He's, um, I would say he's progressive in, in a lot of ways in the way that he looks at women and money. Mm-hmm. So he was a good fit. Yeah. yeah. Um, talk a little bit about um, what you just mentioned to me about women and their views about not being the breadwinner, the, mm. the, so, the sole breadwinner, how that's changing and, and why you think that was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I found... 
as I've interviewed dozens and, and dozens of women about money just over the course of my own career and, and talked even anecdotally with, with friends about money, is you know, after a while, um, it became clear that it's, it's very early on that we, you know, our view of money is, is shaped. And what I found was that with, with men, they grew up expecting to take care of themselves and often to take care of a family on top of that. And that informed all of the decisions that they made as an adult when it came to money. And women still, although we are you know, taught that we can do or be anything we want, mm-hmm. are not really taught to think like a breadwinner. And so what happens is that you, you think to yourself, oh, I have to take care of myself, you know, at least temporarily, and I might contribute to the household, but you're really not preparing to be a breadwinner, even though increasingly many women are finding themselves in that position. Mm-hmm. You know, there are 5 million women in America right now who are the primary or sole breadwinner in their families. And if you actually dig down into that data, most of them are accidental breadwinners. And what that means is it's a lower median income. A lot of them are frustrated and resentful in their relationships. This is from data and interviews that Mm -hmm. that have been done. Um, And I think if women prepared earlier to be breadwinners, whether or not you actually end up being the breadwinner, you will make very good financial decisions from the get-go. If you think I'm going to have to take care of myself for the rest of my life and maybe someone else on on top of that, Mm -hmm. I will tell you, I would have made very different decisions in my 20s. And I look at, I have a friend, Simran, who's sort of an anomaly in that her her husband passed away in a car accident when they were in their early 20s. She was a new mom. She had a two-year-old son. And when I was telling her about the book, I'm working on a book about this, she said, I don't understand. I've always thought that way. And I said, you don't understand what an anomaly you are. And I said, look at you, because she is incredibly successful. She owns her own apartment and another that she's renting out. She just took seven months off to travel around the world. She is paying for her son to go to college. He's in college now. Mm -hmm. She's paying for him to go to college. And she had been saving for college since she was young. So it's... Now, she, you know, someone she, must have taught her. That's to what do she that. said. She said her mother, she said what she, after we talked, she came back to me later and said, I think I, I understand now what, what you were talking about. And she said, I think I'm un, unusual. She said, and that my mom didn't say to me, you can do or be anything you want, go for it, you know, and yeah. that kind of, you know, you can have any career you want. She said to me, make sure you are always self sufficient. Right. And she's one of three um, sisters, and they are all. Uh, very financially responsible, doing very well Mm -hmm. financially. And all of them are married and happy. Um, But they, you know, one of them's the primary breadwinner. And and Simran clearly, um, because she's raised her son on her own, she was the sole sole breadwinner. So um, I think it had a huge influence on the decisions she made. Mm -hmm. And I look at her as a role model just in terms of the the financial decisions she's made Mm -hmm. and where she is in life right now. Right. And what that allows you to do. Exactly. Right. I think I mean, it's freedom important. she has. Yeah. It's, it's important amazing. to say that, you know, you're not we shouldn't have that attitude because we want to make a lot of money. No, it's, it's not what, about that. Yes. It's right. about what then the freedom you will have right. to do things that make a difference. Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at her situation, what was so interesting to me is so she raised her son. She what was important to her was being able to send him to a good school. So she sent him to a good school. She wanted to live in Manhattan. She lived in Manhattan. She bought an apartment in Manhattan. She set, she saved money consistently every year so that when he went to college, she 
quit her job and traveled around the world for seven months. Wow. Yeah, she and did it right. She looking, should write a book. I know. I've told her this. <laughs> but now she's looking for another job. But she's in a position where she has enough money and she has income coming in from her investments mm-hmm. that she's not so desperate that she needs to take the first job that's offered to her. She has the freedom to really think about what her next move is going to be. And I mean, that's huge. It is huge. And that just huge. the security of knowing right. you're going to be okay and your son's going to be just fine. Yeah. And well, you're prepared right. for anything. She really did. Yeah. Um, you you mentioned the book. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the book and what it's going to be about mm-hmm. and when you think it might be coming out. I know that's a hard <laughs> predictor, you know, when um, you're writing a book. But. Right. <laughs> Probably uh, mid to late next year. And it really focuses on thinking like a breadwinner. So it's aimed at women and it really walks through the steps of you know, kind of a breadwinner plan, what it's like to think like a breadwinner, even if you're not going to end up being one mm-hmm. and how the decisions are, are different. And then it weaves in um, you know, anecdotal stories like Simron's. And we look at the overall trends in that women increasingly will be the breadwinner. So the chances are much higher, and yet the message really hasn't caught up with that Mm -hmm. yet for women. Mm -hmm. Um, So we delve into that a little bit, too. But if you look at all the trends, I mean, this... It's happening, and it's not going to reverse anytime yeah, soon. No, I think it's so smart. It's, you know, it's a mindset. Just mm-hmm. have the it mindset, is. and then you'll be prepared. Exactly. Whether you need to be that or not. Exactly. Yeah, that's really mm-hmm. smart. Um, I'm wondering how you deal with something that kind of is a challenge for me, information overload, right? <laughs> we have so many sources and, and platforms mm-hmm. where we can get information today. It's unbelievable. It is. And it's overwhelming. It is. At times. Mm-hmm. And um, how do you manage it? Because especially in your mm-hmm. position, you know, you're, you're constantly researching and getting information for uh, daily worth. And right. how do you not get overwhelmed, I guess, is what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I probably have better training than than most people because I am a journalist, so I know how to sort through a lot of information and and discern what is research-backed or what is reported and what's worth paying attention to or not because I've made a career of doing that um, myself. But, you know, a lot, I actually, I'm on Twitter a lot now and I check it every morning and because of the people I follow, a lot of them basically curate the news for me. Mm-hmm. So the headlines that they're putting up are, are those that would be interesting to me anyway. So I check Twitter every morning and, and then, you know, major sources, time.com and the New York Times. I get on my Kindle so I can read it on the subway on the way in. Yeah. So, um, but I do try to focus on a few, few news sources that I trust. And then I look at Twitter because you'll see what's popping and, you know, what's Right, trending, and right? there's snippets of information. Mm-hmm. But often there'll be, you know, a link to an article. Right, And I right. think, you know, just I have such a curious nature. Right. I want to read all I know, of it. I know. know. And you can't. You can't. It, you can't. it is overwhelming, and I'm struggling a little bit with uh, boundaries. When I'm home, I... My husband and my boys have Get off all the, said yeah. to me, <laughs> put the phone down. Unplug. So I'm working on that. Right. It is hard. It's really hard in, in the world today to... To shut everything off. It really, a friend, yeah. I think we have to really make a conscious we decision do. to do it. A friend yeah. of mine is doing Unplug Sunday. And yeah, she I think I'm going to start doing that. I'm, yeah. I'm going a couple hours Try at a time maybe. now. <laughs> work my way up to it. It's hard not it to look. It is. It is. Um, tell me what a typical day for you is like mm-hmm. in, in your job. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are the tasks, the things that you actually do throughout the day? 
Uh, well, one of the things I love about the job is that it changes pretty much on a daily basis. So I could be doing something like this. We do a lot of media on, and I do, I speak on panels and we do a lot of networking events. So mm-hmm. that's always a part of my schedule. Um, on a day-to-day basis, we always have stories that come in and I still take a look at everything that goes up on the site, um, which, you know, it's it's getting harder to do the more stories that we, we run. And I do have a managing editor too who looks at everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I enjoy reading everything. And I'm still a part of the process just in terms of the overall editorial strategy. We help brainstorm, you know, we all, we have big brainstorming sessions where we think about what we're going to be assigning and what are people talking about and what's really resonating with our audience and what do women really need to know and who are the people we want to profile. And I love that part of my job. Then there's the very strategic part, which is the other part of my title, which is SVP of edit and product development. So we have a lot of products that we're rolling out right now. So I sort of toggle between those two roles and we're rolling out a directory for financial advisors. So that's coming up in the next month. And we have an experts platform that we just launched with people like Jean Chatsky and Barbara Stanny are, are a part of that. And so you know, there's, it's never a dull day. There's yeah, always no, something fun. going on. That's fun yeah, and it is. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. For the listeners who perhaps haven't seen Daily Worth, mm-hmm. they ha- they don't know what it is. Right. Talk about what um, is on the site. Mm-hmm. In other words, we know it's about finances and empowering sure. women, but the different tabs, the different topics, sure. what's included there to sure. make them. Well, we have three main pillars, uh, personal finance, career, and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, the probably 70% of our content falls into one of those three buckets. We've expanded a little bit into um, lifestyle issues that are related. So everything we cover outside of those three is still through the money lens. So we'll look at um, beauty and fashion, but often it's about, you know, the best beauty bargains or we, we tend to skew it a little bit. We don't want to sound like every other women's magazine out there. Right, so right. We, we did a piece on beauty treatments, the short-term versus long-term costs. So is it worth it to invest in laser hair removal versus shaving your legs every day right. as a basic <laughs> example? But we actually did all the calculations. And so, you know, if you looked at it on a long-term basis, in some cases, the longer-term solution made more sense financially. Mm-hmm. And that's the message that we were trying to get across. Yeah. And we do the same thing with fashion, where we look at a cost-per-wear basis um, so that, you know, it makes more sense maybe to spend more on a pair of jeans if you're going to wear it more. So we cover it in a slightly different way than I think you'd find most fashion magazines or most women's magazines would cover it. Right. And we do the same thing with health and fitness. Mm-hmm. So it's looking at... Um, low-cost ways to get in shape and things like that. There's Everything is through that that money lens. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. that's okay. You know, in other words, you know, it's finances are important to talk about, right. but women are women, and we like we fashion mm-hmm. and, and all the things that, you know, are about our health and wellness. Yeah. And I think it's okay to combine the two. Sure, you know? they're related. They're related, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit mm-hmm. about your, your thoughts on um, preparing for college, mm-hmm. because as the mother of two kids in college, <laughs> um, people have different views about the best way to go about it. And, right. and today, you know, the tuitions are unbelievably off the charts high. I'm not in my stomach just thinking yeah, about what right. they're going to be in I, yeah, and people, 11 years. When it's, I don't know. It's, I right. just feel, is it ever going to mm-hmm. stop? Um, what are not. some of the things that you mm-hmm. learned mm-hmm. about preparing for college? You know, simple mm-hmm. things that people can do today that'll put them in a good position when their kids are at that age, which comes about, you know, in Quickly. no time. Right. Oh. Yeah. Start small, start early. I mean, it's the same advice we give with savings. But 529 plans, just invest in it early, do it automatically, don't even think about it. Right. 
you know, just just start early. And even, you know, you can invest just a little bit, but you'll have the advantage of the compound interest. And so even if you feel like you're only able to invest $100 a month or something, it's worth doing that. I mean, we have one already for both our kids, and they're three and seven. Yeah. It's never too early. And some people, Mm -hmm. I think... um, they assume that their child is going to be a superstar athlete and get that scholarship. I'm not counting on that. No, <laughs> I think even if they are, you know, an amazing right, athlete at four, right. you should still yeah, put not aside sure some that money. That's right. right. <laughs> that they'll still be amazing at 17. Right, right exactly. Um, we're going to take one last quick sure. break, and we'll be back in the studio with Jennifer Barrett. Hello? Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow! Infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes. Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest-growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks, and some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the Mutual Fund Store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face-to-face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your Mutual Fund Store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the Mutual Fund Store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. 
I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the City of Light. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip, or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to Women to Watch. Uh, My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm in the studio today with Jennifer Barrett. And Jennifer is Senior Vice President and Editor-in-Chief for DailyWorth.com, which is a wonderful online financial magazine uh, for women. So we're talking about all types of topics related to finances and women and and why things are changing today. I think it's really Mm -hmm. interesting. One of the questions I wanted to ask Jennifer is why she thinks we're seeing so many firsts for women today, mm-hmm. when I say that, you know, women taking over roles that were historically um, held by men, you know, CEO positions mm-hmm. and presidential positions. What is it about today that that it, that we're seeing it and, and it didn't happen before? Well, I do have to qualify this by saying that um, it, those numbers have actually stagnated over the last 10 years. So if you look at the percentage of CEOs of um, Fortune 500 and Fortune 1000 companies, it's about 4% and it stayed at that number, and that's too small. it is. It's way too <laughs> small. We're working on yeah. it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the the number of boards um, board seats taken by women, it's still stuck at about sixteen percent. Mm-hmm. So this is data that Catalyst collects every every year, a nonprofit. Um, so in that sense, it's a little discouraging. And um, you know, we're we're working to fix that in in our way as our women across the country. I'm sure. But what you are seeing are women moving into um, higher profile roles. And as you mentioned, women moving into um, higher roles in industries that were dominated historically by men and into positions that um, were historically um, taken by men. So Janet Yellen is a perfect example. And I think that's actually, that's huge Mm -hmm. for a a woman, for a girl growing up today to see that the head of the Fed is a woman (laughs) is, is huge. And to see Hillary Clinton, you know, running, she, I'm sure she'll be running for president is is a big deal too, and actually to see female leaders all over the world, um, in a lot of countries, 
there have been female leaders for many years, so it's not even news anymore. Um, And so we're not quite at that point, clearly, in the U.S. where it's not news anymore when a woman becomes a CEO or president or, um, you know, I think, what are we, 20 percent of the Senate seats, I think, are held by women. Mm -hmm. We're not where we really need to be, certainly Mm -hmm. not compared to other developed countries around the world. Um, We really have a ways to go. Yeah. But I'm encouraged by the fact that you are seeing women moving into these roles that were historically held by by men, and it is starting to shift. And there's a lot of awareness around that. There is. Yeah. The, I, I love the fact, I'm seeing a lot in um, specifically all-girls schools, yes. for instance, mm-hmm. where they're really trying to encourage the girls to go into tech, you mm-hmm. know, and go yes. into Lots finance and science, mm-hmm. all of that, where before, you know, young girls, even if they mm-hmm. had that interest, they were afraid to say it. Right. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting. Um, a few weeks ago, I uh, spoke at a dinner with uh, about a dozen chancellors of universities across the country. They'd pulled in some some journalists to talk about science and um, to talk about women's role in science. And they were talking to me about these new programs they had in place where they are actively going into high schools in one case and seeking out women and they're paying for programs in high schools to try to encourage more women to move into science and technology. So there are efforts being made. And I think, you know, if if the chancellors of some of the biggest universities in the country are aware of this problem and are putting money toward it and resources toward toward solving it, I think we will see a shift. Right. Uh, it's it's going to take some time, though. Yeah, it's like anything. When it's, right. been, it's been one way for a long, long time, it's going to take a long, right. long time to turn it around. Right. Yeah. Um, what What are one of the things that might be a struggle for you in your day-to-day work? You know, a lot of the listeners are women who mm-hmm. are um, perhaps entrepreneurs mm-hmm. or women in, in corporations. And I always think it's helpful when women who are successful mm-hmm. share what some of their challenges are. Um, what's a battle <laughs> for you in your work every day? I think time management is probably oh my gosh, I hear that all the time. One time management challenge. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, that's part of being a working mom. I think that is actually the biggest challenge for me is finding time. For me, I, I'm work is in my head most of the time. I'm just, it's, I'm so, um, my identity is so closely wound up because I'm so passionate about this anyway that it's hard to shut that off right. at night and right. really be present for my kids. So that is actually, that's, that's a challenge for me. Do you feel guilty sometimes? Mm-hmm. That, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do. And I've, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm starting to shut my phone off and I'm starting to block out time with them. I want them to see that, you know, you can have, I want them to know that I'm passionate about my job. And I think they do know that, but it's also important that they know that they're a priority for me. Right. And and it's just, it is a challenge to, to juggle all of that. Um, and so, and then to have time for friends and all these other things. Yeah. And I have a really close group of friends, um, you know, for 15 years, we've been really tight in New York and then, you know, other friends we've made along the way, but they're so important in my life. Mm-hmm. And so it really is trying to balance time with them and time with the family and time yeah. at work yeah. is probably the biggest challenge. Yeah. I think it's, it's a daily struggle for, mm-hmm. for all women, you know, and, um, Edna and, and I were talking mm-hmm. about, you know, the uh, the phrase about having it all. And right. it's so silly. There is no having it all. Right. We just do our best yes, every day. We, we get do. out of bed. And- I wrote about that. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I think it's a ridiculous phrase, to be honest. What does it even mean? And why is that what we're meant to aspire to? It's... It's just this ridiculous bar that we set for ourselves. Yeah. What does it mean? Yeah. I mean, this is not something that men do. They don't talk about, 
oh, I have it all. I've got a family and I've got a great career. And they don't talk like that. No. You know, you just, you, you live in it. And we, as women, I think we do this a lot where there's this invisible bar that we are constantly trying to meet and then we'll consistently fall short. You know, Um, you just cannot be a full-time mom and a full-time worker. Yeah. It's impossible. There will constantly be conflicts and women tend to internalize it and blame themselves and it's just wrong and it gets me all fired up. (laughs) (laughs) She's fired up. (laughs) Well, no, but I do see, I think that even today, even though there's an awareness and we Mm -hmm. talk about it, we have conversations and there's articles, there's still kind of a pressure to be all that and do all that. And I think that comes from we now have experts in every field right. telling you how to do it just right. perfectly. Well, so this is one of my big bugaboos it's about the too. way media talks to women. And this is actually what we're trying to change at Daily Worth. And that was one of the, the big reasons why I took the job, because I have worked in women's magazines. I have worked for mainstream magazines for a very long time. And one of the things that has always bothered me is the way that we talk to women is constantly... You have to lose 10 pounds. Here's how to lose 10 pounds. Here's how to cook the perfect dinner in 10 minutes. Here's how to do this. Mm -hmm. And the underlying implication is that you're not okay the way you are. And it's not okay the way, yes, the way your life is arranged right now. Mm -hmm. It has to be better. You are constantly working to be better. And it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And it just puts an enormous amount of pressure on women that's just completely unnecessary. It really is. And you know what's sad? I I mean, that pressure and that competitive mm-hmm. nature and all of that is women on women. It's really right. not men. Men are not no. saying that to Men us. don't even, I mean, my husband would not notice if I gained or lost 15 That's pounds right. probably. Right. They really, and he couldn't care less about dinner. I mean, these yeah. are not things that are important to them. These are things that we've internalized as somehow being important. And we don't ever stop to think, is this truly important in my life? Right. What is really important in my life? Right. And, um, and, you know, and, and ignore these this constant barrage of messages that we, we get about yeah. losing those last 10 pounds or yeah. any number of, of yeah. messages we get that are about improving yourself. And It really is. It, it's too much pressure. And we all, as, as women, we need to have the conversation more and more and more about letting go of right. the, the perfection in all areas of our life. Right. Because you can't be perfect you can't. in all your life. No. You, and the kids pick up on that. I see do. that and that, you know, is what really kind of gets me fired up is seeing the young girls right. looking up to the women in right. their life that are their role models yes. and trying and, and they're already feeling that pressure to, to do. You see yes. that in the schools. You do. A lot. You do. It's an enormous amount of pressure on girls. And I have to say when I, you know, when we talked about women being in these leadership roles, I have to say that if if you look at what it's like to be a woman in a leadership role, it is not attractive. And a lot of women look at that and say, I don't need that. You know, right. the, the additional scrutiny you have mm-hmm. when you're a, a C, and I'm not saying scrutiny in terms of your performance in your role. I'm saying scrutiny in terms of your appearance. appearance right. And, you know, the, the pressure. There's this image, you're either a maxed out mom or you have to give up entirely the prospect of having children. Mm-hmm. Or you ignore your kids and send them off to boarding school or something. There's just, there's no, there are not a lot of really positive role models. I think Sheryl Sandberg is one, but she's very hard to relate to for a lot of women because she's just making gobs and gobs of money. Right. And and so, you know, there's this idea of like, well, sure, Angelina Jolie, you know, easy for them. them. They have an entourage of people helping them with their kids. But what we don't have are a lot of positive 
role models um, of women who are in leadership positions and kind of making it work and are happy with their choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need more of them. Well, I'm seeing them in here. Good. Every week I, I have a woman in here who really... I think it's important. It's the epitome of that, really. Yeah. They're, they're working hard. They're proud of it. They're yes. doing it well. But at the same time, they are happy. Yeah. And it's about choosing that, what's best for you. Exactly. Not looking around at what everyone else is doing. That's one right. of the biggest problems. I agree. Uh, I think that women do is kind of... Instead of looking inward, they're looking out. Exactly. And I think that's one reason why this show is so important. It really is because you're, you're, giving, um, you're giving insight into the lives of these women who are very successful and, and are happy with the choices that they've made. And that's such an important message. It is. And how they got there. Right. How they got to that right. point is really the important lesson. Right. Um, we just have a few minutes left. Mm-hmm. And, and for the listeners, um, I'd just love for you to give one p- bit of advice um, as far as What's a simple step that someone who hasn't been doing it well financially could do today to get them on the right road? Well, the first thing is just to pay attention to where your money is going. Mm-hmm. That's usually um, look at your mind expenses. blowing for a lot of people. <laughs> They're not <laughs> just keeping track. Like write down what you're spending money on, and and then look at where you could cut it. I mean, oh, budget is always a good thing, but awareness is is um, such an important part of that. And you have to have that before you can really implement any of the next steps. Yeah, so. absolutely. And also, I would say sign up for our newsletter. We have a daily newsletter and uh, yeah, lots of tips and give advice. Give us your contact so. information for the listeners if sure. they want to get in touch with you mm-hmm. personally or the site. Mm-hmm. Um, well, contact at dailyworth.com is the main uh, email address that we give out. And you can go on the site and sign up for our newsletter. It comes out Monday through Saturday. And mm-hmm. we have a special edition for entrepreneurs, too, that comes out on Wednesdays. Oh, we reach about... Um, close to a million people daily with our newsletter. Okay. And yeah, and, and you can reach me through that email great. address. Terrific. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much thank for you. coming in today. It was a great interview. It was great There's to be here. a lot of good information um, at dailyworth.com, so check it out. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Again, my name is Sue Rocco, and I'm here every week at WWDB AM Talk 860. Thank you, Jennifer Barrett, Senior Vice President and Editor-in-Chief for dailyworth.com. Make it a great week, everyone. 